Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Talked a few months ago about faith, hope, and love. So this is really, um, this is really um, uh, faith, hope, and love just re-engineered a little bit, reworked. Okay, um, one Corinthians thirteen is a very significant chapter in the whole of the Bible. It's one of those chapters that that non-religious people are likely to have some familiarity with because it's it's the most used. Uh, part of the scripture in weddings and I always find it fascinating that non-church people want to do it right which means get married in church I find that a bit hypocritical Um, but usually what they will be encountered with is some verses from 1 Corinthians 13 in the same way that the most likely scripture people hear at a funeral is Psalm 23 the Lord is all that okay the Lord is my shepherd okay so, so there is a significance to this that, that it's kind of very central to the Bible. And um, this was written by, by Paul the Apostle, and it is a, it, it's, more than a, it's more than an appetizer for a wedding ceremony. But unfortunately, it has been um, probably relegated to be just that, an appetizer at a wedding ceremony because of what it talks about. But actually, when you start to look at this intensely, you see that this is the Apostle Paul summarizing some issues and expressing, having summarized those issues, what he believes are the only important facts. Um, We are mostly surrounded by stuff, okay? Stuff that is... Important but not significant. <clears throat> Stuff that is the, is the support act but not the act itself. The problem is that mostly we live uh, connected to the stuff rather than the significant. So, so this chapter really is about that. So, <clears throat> so Paul starts by saying, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> so he's making the point here that there is a difference between a sound and a noise. Okay? So, so the question would be, are, are we in danger in what we do and what we present of just being an irritating noise in the world's ear rather than the sound of love itself? Because when he says about a, 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 you know, a, 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 a clashing cymbal... And the banging gong, he's talking about noises that are irritating. So he's saying, if I'm not approaching this with the right sound, I'm just an irritating noise. Now, I have to ask the question, how much of our endeavors to communicate with the world at large is in their ears simply an irritating noise and not the beautiful sound of love? I I am committed not to being a noise in the ears of the world, but actually to being... A sound, a sound of, of the love and the kindness and the goodness, because there is a, a very distinct difference. He then goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy, 
if I can fathom all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have the kind of faith that moves mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. This would be my summary on that. Being mystically, academically, and powerfully capable, he says, makes you nothing. Okay, let that sink in. Being mystically, academically, and powerfully capable makes you absolutely nothing. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, when I read that, I thought, you can do that without love. See what he says, if, if I give everything I have to the poor... And if I let myself become a martyr, but have not love, which means you can give yourself to the poor, you can give everything you have. You can be a martyr, but you can do it without love. Because if I do it without love, then I gain nothing. So, irritating sound, am nothing, gain nothing. So Paul puts everything that we churchy Christians, and, and I'm one of those, Everything that we churchy Christians have aspired to and expended huge amounts of energy trying to achieve, he puts them into three categories. And he says, it amounts to an irritating noise. I am nothing because of it, and I gain nothing through it. Now, that troubles me. Some of you won't be troubled by that because you're not churchy Christians, but, but at least half of us here are churchy Christians, And if you think about all the things he described, the tongues of men and of angels, the wisdom, the knowledge, the prophecies, the the mysteries, the faith to move mountains, giving to the poor, surrendering our bodies, and and he actually summarizes all those things that we've aspired and expended huge amounts of energy on trying to achieve, saying there are three categories, an irritating noise, am nothing because of it, gain nothing through it. It kind of makes you have to evaluate the the true value of your own Christian belief, your own journey of faith, your own pursuance of God, if that is the case. And this is Paul's summary. You see how it's not really just about a nice little thing about marriage. Paul's really thinking hard here. Say, I've weighed all this stuff up, and and I've really I've really discovered that most of it is just stuff. Nice stuff, useful stuff, but it's actually stuff. And if you're chasing the stuff, you miss the point. So he goes on to make a powerful evaluation from his viewpoint on the developing community that we call Christian, that when you strip away all that is just stuff, you are left with only three things that truly matter. Now, guys, this is critical, and it's why I'm bringing it to you again only a few months after I brought it before. Paul is saying when you strip away the stuff, there are only really three things that truly matter. And these are his words in in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. And now these three remain. Now, you can only have remain if you took away some stuff. Would you agree? Right? You can't use the word remain unless you took away some stuff. So here's Paul, the great champion of church doctrine, suggesting to us that most of what we have gathered, made important, and that we think is the thing we have to push, is actually only stuff and is not as significant as we thought it was, because he says that when you address that, 
Only three things remain when you strip it all away. And if you don't get these three things, you don't get the point. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. And then he's bold enough to say, but of those three, if you really want me to to, to say to you which is the most important factor, he said it's love. The greatest of these is love. So unless our starting point on everything is to come from love, then actually we've already begun a journey that starts from a wrong place that will only ever finish up in a wrong place, which is what he's addressing in those first three verses. He's saying, you finished up in a wrong place, majoring on these things which are important but are still only stuff because you started in the wrong place, okay? So I mean, you know my heart is that I want people to hear the sound of God's heart past all the noise of Christian practice and, 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 and doctrine and, and feel and experience a love that goes beyond doctrinal obsession. And that's really what Jesus was doing. So I also talked about the fact that all of us in humanity are desperate to find the keys to a blessed life. That The guys in the tattoo shop just looking to find the keys to a blessed life. So the guy who smoked the bong and got all sick on the girl's thing, that, uh, the, the other fascinating thing like that was that the whole incident only took about an hour and 40 minutes, but he thought he'd been there all day and all night. <laughs> it just got more, the, the, the more you were there, the more bizarre this thing this thing became. But you see, at one time I would have thought, yeah, look at this guy, you know, he's putting it about, he's partying, he's got the bong out, he doesn't even know what he's smoking. When actually the truth is that whether it's him or, or Mr. and Mrs. Nicey Nicey who never put a butt wrong, foot wrong, but, but walk into the local Anglican church, actually the desire is exactly the same in both. It, it, it's looking out of desperation to find the keys to a blessed life. And if you would just learn to embrace some of these people, understanding they're just trying to find the keys to a blessed life. They didn't set out thinking, I'm going to do as much evil as I can today. I'm going to see how many things I can do wrong, because it's not an issue of right and wrong. It's the desire for a blessed life. And so if you, if you embrace that, you can fit in an environment like that shop and watch something bizarre like that. But I'm thinking, dude, here's these guys now, and I'm like fly on the wall. So if I'd have said to you, what video do you think these tattoo artists, smoking bongs, all are, are watching in the shop? You would have never, in, in a thousand guesses, said that they were the slightest bit interested in watching that. And yet every one of them in the shop was engrossed in that and it became the source of conversation. See, all humanity is desperate to find the keys to a blessed life. So this guy called Gary Chapman, no relation, wrote this book about the five love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch, talked about these love languages that each one of us has, one of them as a major language. We sometimes have supporting ones, and um, in relationships, you will know that you can do your very best to show love to a person, but if you're not actually showing it in their love language, they're not hearing what you're thinking you're saying, okay? And vice versa, we've all had people try to show love to us, um, but have not felt that love, even though they've desperately been trying to show it, because they were not speaking our love language, so... Pay attention sometimes to where people are at so you can be a little bit more sensitive to, to help them along. But of course, out of that, 
being the questioning person I am, I had to ask the question, so what about God? If we as his creation made in his likeness and image have love languages that are important to us, what's God's love language? What is it that actually really grabs God's heart in, in a very special way? And the truth is the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark because it actually tells us in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. Now that doesn't mean you won't be loved by God or God won't help you and God won't be present. But it's giving you a little insight to what actually makes the heart of God leap. What makes him feel valued and appreciated. Now I find that fascinating because all of my life I thought Worship makes God feel valued. Apparently it doesn't. In fact, there are several places in the Bible where God says, your sacrifices, your burnt offerings, your solemn assemblies, your feast days mean nothing to me. Why is that? Because that's not God's love language, okay? And, and I also thought that sacrifice was God's language. You know, must be sacrifice. When we sacrifice, God gets so excited but he says your burnt offerings and your blood offerings mean nothing to me. So, although sacrifice in our life, and I don't mean sacrificing your dog or whatever, but, you know, when we, we do stuff at, at, at great cost to us, and even worship, which is a wonderful thing to do, are actually not God's love language. Faith is God's love language. Now, that's very important for us to understand. Because faith is... Is, is this is what I think faith is and why it's so important. For me, faith is the determined placement of belief and trust. That's what faith actually is, okay? It's the determined placement of belief and trust. Faith is not accidental. Faith is the determined placement of your belief and trust. Now, every one of us has belief and trust, okay? But we determine where that belief and trust is faith, which, placed, which is why... I often argue with my atheist friends that they are people of faith. They have determinedly placed their belief and trust in an atheistic viewpoint of the world and creation. Likewise, whether you are, you know, evolutionist or whatever. But this to me is the critical point that I wanted to re-emphasize with you. That, that faith is the determined placement of belief and trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. This is so important, guys, because I grew up that what you had faith in was the power of God. Okay? So faith connected with power and power produced miracles. Now, if there ever was a misplacement of faith, that is it. Imagine if, if the only reason you wanted to connect with me is because you think I had a power in an arena that could benefit you. So when our faith and belief is in the power of God, mostly what we're doing is attaching to something that has within it a specific benefit for our own personal advancement. See, faith is not a tool to manipulate a miracle. Okay? And so I want to readdress and realign our understanding of faith in the context of the scripture to say that it's the determined placement of faith and trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Now, the truth is God is powerful. Just by the very definition, if he is God, he is powerful and he actually doesn't need you to tell him how powerful he is because he already knows and he's quite secure in his own power. What he does need to hear from you 
is you are attached to his goodness and his faithfulness. Now it seems to me that in that arena the power of God flows almost without recognition. It almost flows subconsciously and, 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 and unnoticeably. The power of God begins to flow and do its stuff because without faith it's impossible to please God. But when the heart of God is pleased, somehow the power of God flows in amazing and, and, and wonderful ways. But you see our focus of faith is not the power of God. Our focus of faith is the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The other problem with power is power is a word of empire. Okay, Power is associated with empire and rule and authority. Power is also associated with fear. Power is used to instill fear in people and power is used to break fear from people. So we get an all image and a model of community and, and culture that more is more akin to empires of this world than it is the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, which is a peaceable kingdom. And so, and so we have to appreciate that if, if faith is God's love language, faith is what? It's the determined placement of my faith and trust in, in what? In the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That's what really touches the heart of God, and that is the deepest and highest expression of love towards God when I appreciate his goodness and his faithfulness. Do you know, the truth is you have every answer to every issue you will ever face in all of life and every issue you will ever encounter in anybody else's life. If you can get to the point where faith and determined placement of that faith and trust is in the goodness and power of God, you will never be without feeling loved, you'll never feel alone, you'll never feel you don't have an answer. It might not always come in the way you wanted or at the time that you wanted, but you will always be certain that something is happening. Something is taking place. It's the goodness and faithfulness of God. Now, of course, the opposite of faith is not, is not doubt and unbelief. The opposite of faith is sight. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says we live by faith and not by sight. Okay, so the opposite to faith is sight. Sight is when I use natural reasoning to assess my world around me and try through that natural reasoning to come up with a solution, which is why so many of us never have a solution and never really understand the problem because it's all by natural reasoning. Faith says the goodness and the faithfulness of God is part of my life. Okay? So I don't have to reason out how this is possibly going to work on my behalf. I simply can rely on the goodness and faithfulness of God to know that this is absolutely going to work because without faith, all you see is an image of the visible. But With faith, you have a revelation of the possible. See, faith always makes things possible. And some of you need a revelation of the possible because reasoning will only ever show you the impossible. I I love Jesus' words. He didn't say, with God, nothing is impossible. He says, with God, all things are possible. Now, you might think that's just playing with words, but it's not. It's a completely different mindset because faith always sees the possible. It's not the antidote to the impossible because by faith, there is no impossible. So as we touch the goodness and faithfulness of God, what happens is that we have a, a, we have a revelation of the possible, that it is possible. God is bringing us through. Okay, so, so faith, hope, and love. So just a few more minutes. So hope, it's what I call the poor relation of, of, of the Christian faith, when actually 
According to Paul, we should talk more about hope than we do about speaking in other tongues, more about hope than we do about wisdom and knowledge and understanding and revelation and biblical doctrine. We should talk about hope more. The problem is hope often gets left out and and it gets left out for a reason because I think it's a strategy of whoever you believe the devil is or wherever you believe the adversary is. It's a strategy because if you can take hope out of the equation, you you can stop faith being able to do what faith does. So, so Hebrews 6 verse 19 um, is very important because it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. So, so we get this description that what, what is hope? Hope is an anchor for the soul. What is an anchor? An anchor is something that when it finds a location, it stops you drifting on every tide. It stops you getting swept away by every current. So if you ever wondered why you keep drifting and why you keep getting swept away, I've got the answer for you. It's because you lost hope. Probably don't even know anymore what hope is. So you don't know what to do with it because you don't know what it is. And so you drift and you float on every tide and every cut gets swept by every current. So he describes faith, like uh, hope like this. He says it's, it, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the very presence of the inner sanctuary, the place where God is. It says behind the curtain. So I, I like to think that hope is like, putting your hand through a curtain where you can't see what's on the other side, but you find something to grab onto. And that something you grab onto is the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When hope reaches out, it will always find the goodness and faithfulness of God. And he's like, if you can imagine the picture, harm through the curtain, and I've got hold of the goodness and faithfulness. I can't see how this is working. I can't see all that it's got on its agenda, but I've got a hold of it. And it says that then you become secure, Okay. Because hopes find its found its 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 place. Now, a couple of important things on that. Once you lose hope, faith has no viable material to work with. Because Hebrews eleven verse one says that faith makes substance of the things that we hope for. So if there's no hope, faith actually has no material to work with. So often our faith, your faith, is not producing what you'd like your faith to produce because it has no viable material to work with because you lost hope. Why did you lose hope? Because you've no clue what hope is anymore. And you've not got your arm through the curtain hanging on to the goodness and, and faithfulness of, of, of God and yet that hope is the very anchor to your soul. So I had this definition for hope. Okay, because what I believe is that we have relegated hope to a confession of failure. That we're one step from failure. So here's the most common way that we use hope. I hope I have enough money to pay the bills this month. I hope when I see the doctor and get that scan, it's not cancer. I hope I'm not going to die young. I hope, I hope I haven't inherited the heart trouble that my, my parents had. I hope I get a promotion at work. So I can get more money and afford to buy a house in this economy too. Do you see how all the time we use hope, we use it from the negative. It's always confessing a negative. It's always confessing that that we're one step from failure. I hope I'm going to survive. I hope my kids don't have to face a war in their lifetime. Hope is always the confession that we're one step from failure. But you see, that's not what hope is. That's what we have adulterated it to be. So I made this definition. Hope is not a confession that we are one step from failure. 
It is a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken and there may well be a word beyond that. That's what hope is. Hope is a confident expectation. Do you know what? The last word has not yet been spoken. That's what hope says to every situation. Oh, I, yeah, I, I know I've got to see the doctor, but the last word has not yet been spoken. Okay, I heard what the doctor said, but the last word has not yet been spoken. I know things are pretty, looking pretty dire about my future, but the last word hasn't been spoken yet. That's what hope is. Not a confession that we're one step from failure, but a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken, and there may well be a word beyond that. Now, so faith, hope, and love. So if that's what hope is... And, and, and I grab hope. It's confident expectation. The last word has not yet been spoken. Faith, the determined placement of my faith and trust in the, in the goodness and faithfulness of God, latches onto that and we begin to get something starting to happen, a dynamic. Okay, But of course, the other one that he said is the greatest is, is love. Faith, hope, and love. Uh, and true hope is really, in essence, based on love. If you don't have if you don't have a appreciation of an acceptance of a willingness to embrace love as it really is then you're not going to have the grounds on which hope can actually become a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken because actually this whole thing works backwards so paul says it's faith hope and love but the greatest is love Or in other words, love doesn't spring from hope which springs from faith, but hope springs from love and faith springs from hope. So it doesn't start with faith, because if it started with faith, then all the pressure would be on you and me, right? But if it starts with love, all the pressure's on him. Because John, another faithful disciple of Jesus who reflected a lot on his life and ministry, writing in in his little book called First John, towards the end of the Bible, says these words. He says, God is love. This, this is his conclusion. Just like Paul says, these three remain. John's summary is, this is my summary of all the stuff. God is love. And he says, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Or in other words, John says, having said all this, I've realized all the pressure's off me. I've realized I don't start this, I don't initiate this, I'm not the powerhouse behind this. But when I come to the place of realizing this is love, not that I love God, but that he loved me, and I appreciate that his love is always constantly, uh, never interrupted, never diminished, never reduced, flowing towards me and in me and around me and through me, because he's present in all things and he is the very essence of love, And that as I lose myself into the fact of the willingness to accept, I am loved by God. No effort, right? No endeavor on my part, no stress. I am loved by God. What Paul and John are saying is when you're willing to immerse in that and say, you know what, I don't understand it. It's not rational. It's not any more rational than lighting fire on top of a cake and blowing out the candles It's not rational, but you and I are loved by God. Now, when I embrace that, what happens is hope starts to come alive. When I embrace the extent to which I'm loved, that's when I begin to realize that I have a confident expectation Then the last word has not yet been spoken. When you know you're loved, you know that the one who loves you is going to have the last word. 
And therefore, in our case, we know that God's going to have the last word. And when I know God's going to have the last word, I have then faith in his goodness and his faithfulness. I know he's not going to betray me, let me down. He's not going to destroy me or hurt me. But everything he does is going to be for my good. Then it begins to flow that way. Now, we could go on to talk about the fact of how you spot the difference between religious love and the God kind of love and Christian institutional kind of love and the Jesus follower kind of love because Paul goes on to talk about it. He says, love is patient and love is kind. And he had no intention when he wrote this of writing a thesis for weddings. It was not his point. His point was when we strip everything away and all that is stuff and we come down to the basis and realize the basis of love, we have to know what that looks like, okay? It can't be just, oh yeah, love, God is love, love is, it's all about love, you know, all you need is love. You have to know what that love looks like. So he says, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, I realized that a lot of the way I defended my faith and talked to people for a long time was rude. That's because I didn't really love the people I was talking to, I have to be honest. I, when I used to witness to people about Jesus, I realized I was witnessing to them more for my benefit than their benefit because I had in my head that if you don't own me before men, I won't own you before my father. If you don't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my father. So I wanted to be acknowledged before the Father. So I'm witnessing to Dave because I'm more interested in saving me than I am in saving Dave. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, and I'd like to say that, you know, I had this desperate love for the people that I talked to. But really, I loved God and I didn't, I didn't want to be punished. So I guess I loved me more than I loved them. So they may have got some benefit from me loving me to that degree. And I thank God for it by accident. But, but actually at the core of it... And sometimes I, I was exceptionally rude, um, particularly in how I responded to people who didn't believe things the same as I did. Love's not self-seeking, not easily angered. And this is the classic one. The NIV puts it the clearest. It keeps no record of wrongs. I absolutely love that. We've got to be that way, and God is that way. Which is why I've said to you I have some huge problems about certain doctrines on eternity in hell because we can't be told here that God is love and love keeps no record of wrongs but then suddenly God has all these books that are full of all our wrongs. One, one of them is untrue and I know which I think is, needs redefining. Okay? So his summary is, here's how you spot real love. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. I like to put the word you in there. Love will never fa- fail you. Love in action, anything other than this is, is not really love at all. Love always has to be in action. Love happens in tattoo shops. Love happens in, in TED seminars. Love's happening all around us with the kindness of God. But if we miss the now because we're so concerned about the then, we fulfill the criteria that Paul talked about, that then we're all focused on defending the stuff and protecting the stuff and doing the stuff, when actually Paul says, when you get to the end of it, if I don't have love... None of this stuff matters. It gives me nothing. I gain nothing. And I just become a very irritating noise in the ears of the world. And I don't want to be that. So let me finish it up by saying this because I think it's, it's, it's worth saying. I, uh, I read to you before that Romans 8 verse 35 says, So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a question, question mark. It's a question you have to answer, see. It's a 
This is not a statement. This is where you have to activate your own faith and trust. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of God and the love of Christ? Well, it's a fascinating question because throughout Christian history, the church has been trying to define all the things that separate us from the love of Christ. If you haven't prayed the prayer in this way, if you don't live that way, if you act that way, if you believe it. And it's funny, he's asking this question because it's a proper question. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, devils, whatever powers, present, future, anything... Height, depth, whatever in all creation, nothing, he says, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul's answer to the question. So verse 31 is critical, and I'll finish with this. You've been very patient. What then shall we say in response to this? That's got a question mark. What shall we say in response to this? So I I would say to you tonight, what shall we say in response to this that I've talked about? Question mark. It's not a statement, it's a question. He says, Paul's wanting to know, okay, having said all that, what do you think? What, what, what would be the appropriate thing to say in response to this? And uh, it's a very, very clever piece of literature because he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Question mark. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Is not a statement that he is making in answer to the question. It's like I would say to you, okay, so what, what colour is, what color is the, the backdrop? Blue? Question mark. Is it purple? Indigo? Now Paul, Paul's response here is a question. He's saying, so what should we say to these things? If God be for us, who should be against us? He's, he's challenging you as to what you would say to these things. Now, I said to you, and this is my conclusion, that if you understand love itself releases the hope that feeds the faith, then it actually obliterates the if. What Paul's point is here is, if God is for us, really, if, that's the best you come up with, but unless you understand the stuff and separate that to what matters, and you understand that faith, hope, and love are the only three that remain, and it's actually love, hope, and faith, you will always have an if. You'll never be able to obliterate the if. But Paul's point is, what shall we say to these things? He wants you to say, God is for us, so who can be against us? It's fascinating that 1 Corinthians 13 starts with, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all, if I give all I possess to the poor, do you see how it's all on the ifs? If, 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 if. He said, here's the conclusion that I want you to draw from this. God is for us, so who can be against us? And the argument's not doctrine, it's not theory, it's not, it's not function, it's not structure. The argument is that our faith has been determinedly placed in the goodness and the faithfulness of God because our hand went through the curtain and we realize we're not one step from failure, but actually the last word has not yet been spoken and that we are loved absolutely, irreversibly, totally and completely by God the Creator. And then when it all starts there, we can flow not only 
in the context of our own life, but we can flow with the rest of humanity, whether it's a tattoo shop or a seminar or a church or the pub or the, or the football ground, wherever it is, we flow out of that, that life because the, the if has been completely removed because God is for us and who can be against us. So, we've taken a bit of time um, for which I make no apology whatsoever because we need to learn this stuff. But we're on a good journey. God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. Now when he says who can be against us, he's saying we, we don't even need to name, spend time thinking about the who. Okay, God is for us. And nothing's going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we have removed the if because he is for us. That's the context that God wants us to live in, okay? So, for those among us who think we spend too little time on the stuff, that's the reason, okay? That's why, that, that's the revelation of my heart. Because I've realized a lot of stuff is stuff. And uh, the problem is that sometimes we can be really good at the stuff and really bad at what really matters, so the question is, is it be better to be really good at love, knowing it and giving it, really good at hope, having it and expressing it, really good at faith, letting it work on the material of hope, or is it better to have all the practice and stuff and what looks like good Christian church, and which is most important? That's Paul's point, and it's my point to you tonight, so... I pray we can continue on this journey and uh, bring life to the thousands who are looking for what it is that God anointed us and gifted us to do. So we're done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bless you. We love you. Don't forget Gary Max here on uh, Saturday night. So we look forward to seeing you. We're going to have a good night. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.